104.7 The Cave. KKLH, Marshfield, Springfield. A proud member of the Kansas City Chiefs radio network. Touchdown, Kansas City! Now, it's time for Ned Talk. It is a beautiful, very warm, very, very warm Sunday afternoon. Am I in the in the studio with the man who is not going to complain about that at all. I'm Joe Weston, and I'm sitting with Ned Bernals. Ned, how are you? Not one word of complaint. No, you None. love the, you love this this really hot weather, don't you? It is, yes. I, I do. I'm much more comfortable when it's hot than I am when I'm cold. And I know that's a personal thing. It's very selfish, but yeah, it doesn't bother <laughs> me at all. Not a bit. I think you've earned the right to be a little bit selfish. <laughs> all right, it's just the two of us again this uh this Sunday, I, I'm, I'm starting to check my deodorant because uh, it's just you and I, so I don't know what's going on. These other guys not showing up for the show. But anyway, let's talk about some sports. Let's uh, let's talk baseball since it's warm and it's, well, we're, we're about 100 games left in the season. And uh, just overall, what's your take on the Major League Baseball season? I think we have a vast disparity between the good teams and the not-so-good teams. It isn't the classic races that we used to have in the past. We'll use the National League Central as, I think, a, a rather pointed description of what we're talking about. You have the Cardinals and the Brewers and then the other three. Now, in the American League, you've got a pretty good little race going on, but and that's especially in the American League East. National League East, you have a couple. You've got the Mets, the Phillies, and the Braves, although the Mets are the ones who appear to be in command at the moment. And in the West, you have the Dodgers, who have not played as well recently as they have in the in the past, well, earlier this month and, and in past months. But nonetheless, still a great baseball team. Then in the American League, you've got the Yankees. And then in the American League East, you've got a pretty good little disparity going on here because there is a vast difference. The Yankees have, in my opinion, the best team. What do they have, 43 wins now, 42 or 43? They are 43 and 16. Okay, that's a pretty doggone good record. And they have a great... A great division in their team in terms of how they are spaced. Good offense, very good pitching, good defense. It's just a very good baseball team that they put together. And this is what they could have done in past years. But again, baseball is a game of rhythm, and these things do happen. They have come together. It's a team that's pretty much stayed together now in the last couple of years. And now they're beginning to gel as a team. You're getting the home run hitters, Stanton and Judge coming through and blasting long shots. And this team, it's going to take something to get them out of there. They're certainly headed for the playoffs. And with that record, headed for home field advantage throughout the playoffs. You do have a, a team that has come on here in recent weeks, the Boston Red Sox, but uh, and, and the Tampa Bay Rays. But they're still a ways behind the Yankees. And the Yankees are going to be pretty good. The team that's the biggest disappointment in my opinion, Chicago White Sox. They haven't played anywhere near as well as what on paper they should be. And as a result, they're, they're kind of lagging behind. Now, that's also a team that could get hot very quickly and play some winning baseball. But uh, still, they should be a little bit better than that. And uh, this is Tony La Russa who's managing this team, and you would think they'd be a lot better. Another disappointment is the Royals because I really thought they'd play better than what they have been. And then in the West, you have the Astros. And the Houston Astros, like them or not, folks, they're a very, very good baseball team. And so are the Angels, but the Angels faltered. They went through that 12-game losing streak, fired Joe Madden. Just a franchise that can't seem to get it together. They have good players. Of course, injuries have taken their toll. And as a result, there's Trout out 
now, and Otani's had his problems and so forth and so on. But the mix just doesn't seem to be there for that team. It does with the Astros, and again, a team that's pretty much stayed together. There's some Springers gone, and you've seen others who have departed the scene, but for the most part, their their nucleus, their core, is still very much in there. And that, that speaks for what baseball is all about, because when you can stay with the basic level of your team, a lot harder to do now with free agency, yeah. but over and above that, you keep it together, and you're going to get a winner eventually. We've seen some managerial changes over the last week or so. Joe Madden, you mentioned earlier the uh, whatever they are, Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim, California, <laughs> what you know, wherever they're at right now. They fired Joe Madden. He was completely shocked that he got fired, but the team played were, was on a really bad losing streak when they let him go. And there's the interesting thing about it, because a day before, one day before the axe fell, one of the news agencies, I'm not sure which one it was, called him and asked for some comments. And his comment, he had no idea this was coming. His comments were, we're, we're going to be getting better. We are playing a little bit more in rhythm. We're playing a little bit more cohesive baseball. It's going to come because this team's too good. And the next day, he's out. So that leads me to believe that perhaps Artie Marina gave his, uh, gave his okay for the firing because that's what the front office suggested. We need to let this guy go. And Marino said, okay, okay, if you feel like that has to be done, then do it. So that leads me to believe there may have been some player upheaval on that team without knowing about it. Anyway, he's out. Philadelphia Phillies, heck, Joe Girardi yep. is a proven, proven manager, and yet he's out and Philadelphia goes on a winning streak with Rob yeah. Thompson doing that. Very good winning streak. Well, I, I told you earlier when before we went on the air that uh, as a Yankee fan, I, was, I like Joe Girardi, but I think there's a disconnect there with him. And the team, and I, I think that uh, didn't travel well in Philadelphia because he doesn't have that, he doesn't have the pedigree. Every team, every team is different. Every team has a different attitude, a different psychology in how the game should be played, a different level of players. And oftentimes, you, you hear this in, in baseball and in football too, all sports, all team sports, is you have to have that good locker room. You have to have good camaraderie with the players and somebody to lead them and so forth. And apparently that wasn't the case with either one of them because the manager is the one that carries the weight of making the team play in his or the organization's philosophical approach to the game. And evidently that wasn't happening. The players weren't happy at all and say you have to make a change. And in this case, the change was brought about by a managerial shift. Sometimes you see that uh, players kind of wake up. They, you know, players deep inside, they may not like a manager, but nobody wants to see anybody get fired. And I think when something like that happens, players kind of look inward and go, that guy got fired because of the way that I'm playing baseball. And then there's a little wake-up call that goes on around that that dugout, around that clubhouse that says, you know what, we need to we need to do better. And so... It's a case, it seems, so far with Philly. It's yet to be seen what's going to happen in Los Angeles. They're still 2-8 and eight over the last 10 games. Let's talk a little bit about the Kansas City Royals and a guy that may be on the hot seat right now, Mike Matheny. Again, it's the captain of the ship who has to bear the responsibility for what happens. I, I really am. I'm, I was dumbfounded at the way this team has played because the Royals are better as opposed to what they have performed here in recent weeks and in recent months as a matter of fact they're just a better team and they have not done so 
they haven't played consistent baseball. Bobby Wood Jr. still coming on after all is his first year. Yeah. Uh, but you have Whit Merrifield and you have others on that team who are experienced and good athletes. But they just haven't come together. All right. So why is that? Mike Matheny had big success with the St. Louis Cardinals. And he was a highly reputable ball player, a former catcher. Supposedly, it's the catchers who have that best grip on the team because they see everything that's going on. They have a good knowledge, a good command of what's happening. Well, Joe Girardi is also a catcher, and apparently he didn't. But in Matheny's case, it just simply has not happened. Uh, in the Chicago Cubs case, David Ross, I'm not sure he has the team to make that work. I mean, there's some liabilities on that ball club. But with the Royals, I'm just disappointed in how they played. And I think everybody else is, too. Really expected a whole lot more out of them. Yankees have an eight-and-a-half game lead in the American League East over the Toronto Blue Jays. No lead is safe in the American League East. I will tell you <laughs> that as an American League East fan. Uh, the Central's pretty tight. Cleveland has been playing well. They are 7-3 over the last 10 games. Minnesota has played well. They're in first place. They have a four-game lead. Chicago, five back. Rails are 13-and-a-half back. Houston has an eight-game lead at this point over the Los Angeles Angels. The Seattle Mariners are surging. Let's turn our attention to the National League. Before you do that, Joe, I want to, I want to throw in this little caveat. When we talk about the teams that are in the league, you have to understand now this is not in, in recent years, and I'm talking about it, uh, more appropriately, should be recent decades. Yeah, being in the lead is fine, and it does show your power in the league. But as far as the playoffs are concerned, they're greatly augmented by yep. what's going to happen. So when you take a look at the standings, you know fully well that three division champions will be in there. But then where does it fall after that? Well, under the new format... Teams one and two, as far as their records are concerned, get a bye in the first round. Team three, division-leading team three, has to play the weakest of the wildcard teams. And there are three wildcard teams involved. That's all new this year. There'll be 12 teams involved. So everybody's going to get a chance. And those wildcard playoffs, team three against number six, they're seated. Uh, team three against six is a best of three. Four against five will be a best of three. So while your team might not have won the division, there is still a great chance that they can be there during the long haul of the playoffs once they come around. Baseball is a marathon. And so you have to have a team that's set up to can that can go the distance. And when the I mean the distance, it's beyond the 162 games. <laughs> There's a lot of teams that play extremely well during the season. They get to the playoffs and they're just not cut out for it. So I, you know, that's why I put that caveat on the, on the American league East. I've seen huge leads disappear in that division as late as August. Both the Yankees and the Red Sox have lost 13 game leads going into August. And so I, you know, they play Yankees playing well right now. A lot of teams playing well right now, but it's still, you know, even though we're at this point of the season, it's too early to go. That's that team's got a lock on anything. But let's let's turn our attention to the National League. Let's talk about the St. Louis Cardinals have been are in first place. They have a one and a half game lead over the Milwaukee Brewers, who are stinking up the joint. They're one and nine over the last ten games. Cardinals have been kind of up and down this year. That's that's and that's a problem, in my opinion. They are very inconsistent. Going to Florida, lose three to the to the Tampa Bay Rays. Rays are a good team, but now come back. They got a very fortunate victory yesterday and a walk off home run by Tommy Edmond in the ninth inning. But they 
there there's something cohe or non cohesive about this team, in my opinion. Now that's not to say they're not going to win. They're playing uh, Bob Nightingale. I put a lot of credence in what he has to say. He's a very good writer and a very good uh, a student of the game. He says National League Central is the worst in baseball, and he may very well be right. Cap two teams, Cardinals, Brewers, and I'm not sure the Brewers are going to fit into this mix very long. They are faltering badly, and they're not getting good, consistent performances from a lot of their guys. The pitching staff, which is supposed to be the best in baseball, has not turned out to be that way. It still could come on, but nonetheless, Cardinals, even as even as up and down as they have been, they're still in the lead. They're going to be there. They're going to be in the playoffs, and I suspect probably Milwaukee will be one of the wild cards. Uh, in the National League East, though, that's that's a great that's race. a race, yeah, big race. Uh, talk about the Mets and how far ahead they are right now. They are five and a half games ahead of the Atlanta Braves, and the Philadelphia Phillies are eight back. But both those teams surging. The Braves ten and zero over the last ten games, and well, let's check this out just for a second. Braves ten and zero, Philadelphia nine and one, and then a mere seven and three is Miami, who is ten games out at this point. Miami is probably not yeah. going to figure into the mix. Probably not. But they are not that, that bad a team. No. They can play, and they can present a thorn to any other opponent they're going to have. Do like the Philadelphia. Philadelphia is an interesting ball club because they're built for power. They have all, oh my goodness sake, they have big-time hitters on that team. And when they get everything going for them, they're going to blow you out of the ballpark. But they also don't have great pitching. Aaron Nolan, uh, uh, Aaron Nola, I should say, and then several others who, brother well, Zach Wheeler. Zach Wheeler is a fine pitcher, but you don't want to overwork those guys, especially when you are probably going to be in the playoffs on your own, the way the new system is working out this year. Again, you have to treat everybody carefully. That may have been one of the reasons why Girardi got canned. Again, you don't really know that. Yeah, the Mets have a good team. Philadelphia has a good team. Atlanta is very good. And those two teams, even from the same division, all three of them could be in the playoffs. Are you surprised at how poorly the Nationals have played this year? No, no. I'm not because I was had the opportunity to interview John Rooney, who's a longtime buddy, during spring training. And this was an abbreviated spring training this year. But in talking to him, I said, what have you, what have you seen that's significant for you in spring training? He said, and he said it without hesitation. Washington Nationals are the worst team I've ever seen. Really? So, not, uh, so, and, of course, Washington's down there with the Cardinals in Florida and Jupiter. And Washington's also in, that, in the Grapefruit League. So he had seen them on a number of occasions. And they're really not together at all and not a whole lot of talent. So it does not surprise me that they played badly. Uh, the National League Central, of course, you knew they were going to be bad. But in the West, the Dodgers, Giants, and Padres are right there yep. and ready to stay with it for the entire program. Talking about the National League Central for just a second, last 10 games, which is always kind of a benchmark in baseball, the best record in the division is the Cardinals. They're 5-5. Five and five. Milwaukee, 1-9. and nine. What, I mean, in your opinion, what's happened in Milwaukee? Well, one of their big batters in past years hasn't really come through, and this is the second year now that he's slumped, and that's Christian Yelich. Not played well at all. His, his average is well, probably around 235, 240, 245, somewhere in that vicinity. He's better than that, or has had better years than that. He hasn't played well. Their pitching hasn't been bad, but it hasn't been consistent enough to 
to keep them up there. Again, Joe, we talk about this in baseball time and time again. You can't base everything on one particular slump that a team's going to go through because they all go through slumps. Yep. There's the deal. It's You want to have lesser slumps than the other teams and many more peaks than you do valleys. Well, right now, the Brewers are in the valley, and as a result, it's costing them a lead in the standings. But this is June. You still have, you still have many, many miles to go before all of this is going to be decided. Exactly. Well, you know, kind of interesting thing when you look at this, too, is the Pittsburgh Pirates are in third place. And I don't know if that's a product of how bad the division is or if the Pirates are improving in any way, shape it's, or form. It's yes and yes. It is a product of how bad that division is. And the Pirates have played a number of games within the division, as has all the other teams. But they are getting a little bit better, too. They're very young and that's always seems to be the case with the Pirates. They're always building and adding on and getting key individuals in key places and so forth and so on. Then when they get a star like an Andrew McCutcheon, you trade him out of there. Uh, the, the fact is that the Pirates are still not a contending team yet. Cincinnati has just completely gutted their ball club. They could have been had everybody stayed together in a Castellanos and a uh, Another guy, one the fellow who went to Mariners, I've forgotten his name now, blown his name. But they've had a great power base to their team, and they let it all go during the winter. They just, they just disheveled the team completely. And as a result, Cincinnati has faltered badly. And the Chicago Cubs, they also let go of their team at the trade deadline. And May again this year, they still have some products on their team this year who are capable of going on and playing with a contending ball club. But that's just it. You do, don't have the, the nucleus, the young nucleus of uh, players coming up. Pirates do. I worry about the Reds and the Cubs, though, and how they have individuals who are going to come onto the scene and advance. Looking at the National League West, that is the best race in baseball. The Dodgers have a half-game lead over the San Diego Padres. Quickly, Ned, do you think the Padres, this is the year for them? They've probably been, been the most disappointing team in baseball by the pundits the last couple of years because they've got the stars, but they have not been able to come through. That is the case. Now, they were in the playoffs last year. Yeah. And uh, they have been a playoff caliber team. But again, I think part of their problem is that they are in a really tough division with the Giants and the Dodgers. And as a result, I think that's probably cost them a little bit. But they do have the key players, but they've also had injuries. Fernando Tatis Jr. has not been in there. He's been out for much of the year. Hosmer's in there. You have a Missouri State Bear and Luke Voigt playing for you. You have power. You have plenty of power. But you also have a team that really might not be fitting the mold that the Padres should have. They also play, incidentally, Joe, in a ballpark Petco Park that is not home run conducive. It is it's a big big ball field. It's more built for defense and pitching and so forth. And that's how the Padres have tried to structure their team. Although they do have some pretty good long ball threats on there. Nonetheless, a team that could very well. It's one of the, one of the teams that I was talking about earlier, like the Yankees. Have they been together long enough to be able to gel and come together? Well, the Yankees obviously have. They have forty two victories on the year now. Well, the Padres may not have been together long enough to have that gelling take place, but I wouldn't sell them short. By the time early September, late August, early September run, uh, runs around, you may see them as flexing their muscles and creating a whole lot of problems in that West.
When we come back, we'll talk a little bit about our big event that's coming up and the Kansas City Chiefs. You're listening to Ned Talk on 104.7 The Cave, part of the Kansas City Chiefs Radio Network. Back to Ned Talk on 104.7 The Cave, a proud member of the Kansas City Chiefs Radio Network. We talked about this last Sunday, but we'll cover it again every Sunday between now and July 14th, the big event happening over at the Blue Room Comedy Club. It is our annual Chiefs Happy Hour, and this year not only is Mitch Holtis being joined by Ned Reynolds and Art Haynes, but Danon Hughes will be here too. He's the color commentator on the Chiefs radio broadcast and former Chiefs wide receiver. Really great guy. Knows a ton about the game. Of course, played it gives you just fantastic insights. If you listen to the Chiefs pregame show, he's always part of that Chiefs roundtable with Dan Israel. And just, I love getting his viewpoint on the game. And I think that this year is going to be really, really exciting adding him to our discussion that we have. He's not just uh, football-oriented either. And that, that'll be, of course, the subject matter that we're talking about since this will be a Chiefs rally. But he's former pro baseball player as well. Oh, yeah. Uh, Danian was with the Milwaukee Brewers organization, but his his expertise in sports is is really focused more on football, and he does a great job, as you mentioned, as Holtus counterpart on the broadcast. But yes, I'm looking forward to, of course, <laughs> looking forward to him being down here. Danian's been here many times. He also does work for the Missouri Valley Conference and has done a number of football games and basketball uh, games down here. Interestingly enough, in baseball, he doesn't do the Valley. He does the Big Ten Conference, University of Iowa product, and uh, and just a a, a terrific player, terrific guy. He does a terrific job. You'll like, of course, hold us. He carries the Chiefs' banner down here. He's yes. <laughs> he is pretty much the the linchpin of what they're going to talk about. But it will be very good. Yes, tickets are on sale right now. You can get those through our website at one hundred four seven thecavecom Again, it is happening on July fourteenth. It is the Chiefs' happy hour. There'll be food, drinks, and great conversation. We've talked about this uh, several times. The setup is. Is Mitch is there, and you and uh, Art kind of deliver the softballs to him, and he answers the questions that you guys deliver. And I just love the setup, not only because of uh, I don't think you'll find three guys that know as much about area sports as you and Mitch and Art know, but I also love the camaraderie between the group of guys up there because you can tell that you guys all genuinely are fond of each other. Well, it worked with Art for, of course, 142 years <laughs> and, and with Holdus for almost that amount of time. Holdus, incidentally, on Friday night was inducted into the Missouri Broadcasters Hall of Fame in ceremonies up at Lake of the Ozarks. And over the years, I think this will be, if I'm not mistaken, number 28, either 28 or 29 for him as the Chiefs uh, voice, the voice of the Chiefs, replacing Kevin Harlan back that many years ago. But yeah, he does. He's an outstanding broadcaster, and he also does Missouri Valley work. So he is down here quite a bit as well. Over and above all that, but the session is very interesting. And what makes it, I think, even more appealing, Joe, is the fact that we do open it up for questions from the audience. And the audiences in the past are very astute. They are Chiefs fans. 
They are asking very, very relevant questions about Kansas City and what happens. And Holdus, and I'm, I'm sure Danden, will be much more than capable of handling all those questions and, in fact, answering in depth as to what they feel the ball club is going to do. I see, and I, I, I can only look at it from the periphery, but I see a lot of uh, individual comments about what the Chiefs are going to do and a lot of preseason polls that are being out there. I saw one that was of particular interest to me, and that was that the Kansas City Chiefs re, uh, receiving core, receiving core is rated 30th in the NFL. Wow. I do not buy that for one single second. But what that does is tell me that the media and the the virtual coaching staffs and scouts and so forth who contribute to these rating services, that's how much credence they put in Tyreek Hill and his absence from that receiving core to lower them all the way down to 30th of the 32 teams. That does not does not resonate with me at all. I think they're better than that. Yeah. But are they as good as what they would have been with Tyreek Hill, folks? I'm telling you, they are not. No. No, not at all. We've discussed that over the last couple of weeks. But, the, you know, the Chiefs have made a lot of really interesting moves. And uh, it's going to be interesting to see how all that plays out over the season. Well, there's an article on ESPN today about seven, seven defensive new faces. I mean, brand new faces coming into the team, guys that are rookies that were drafted. It was obvious that the Chiefs were trying to fix that side of the ball. So they spent a lot of their draft picks on the defensive side, and those guys are going to have to produce immediately. Well, we knew that was going to be the case. And, in fact, we complimented and congratulated the Chiefs on the fact that they did. They didn't bow to the pressure of getting some big-name offensive star in there, no. They knew they had to improve on defense, and that's exactly what they did. Got a whole lot better. The Karloptis kid from Purdue, I'm anxious to see what he's going to do. He's at a key position defensive end where probably for the first year he's going to be a backup, which brings up another interesting point here in a second. But having, having said that, he's going to have to learn that position. And at Purdue in the Big Ten Conference, which is pretty good level of football, Karloftis played very well, enough to get him a number one draft choice in the NFL. Okay, having, having said that, this is a big week coming up for Kansas City because starting on Thursday, they have their final mini camp prior to the opening of fall camp, <laughs> fall being late July, uh, up in St. Joe, Missouri. In this mini camp that they have coming up now, this is a mandatory camp. You have to be there. 90 players, the roster is only 53, but they'll have 90 players showing up. There are two guys who have not been to any of the OTAs, not a single one of them. One is Frank Clark, and the other is Chris Jones. They haven't been to either one of them. Didn't have to be. It wasn't mandatory. It was suggested, encouraged, but not mandatory. Neither of these guys showed up. Okay, they did tell the coaches, oh, don't worry about it. We're working out on our own and so forth and so on. And the defensive coaches with the Chiefs certainly trumpeted the fact that, hey, these guys are pros. They can get things done. Hopefully that is the case. But I am anxious to see, do they show up? I know it's mandatory, but sometimes you overlook things like that when it comes to a three-day summer camp coming up. Still, 
They need to be there, and so does Orlando Brown. He's a key on the offensive line. He hasn't really finalized his contract yet, nor the tendering of the contract, but you know he's going to because he's the franchise player. So we have some questions to be answered, and it'll all start later this week for three days. That's always interesting about football. It, it, it's, it's such a Rubik's Cube with what you have to do with the salary cap and how teams can develop and how they have to work within that salary cap and how they have to make all these roster moves. And it keeps teams really from building dynasties. And that's the reason why what New England was able to do all the years that they've been able to do it has been amazing. And the Chiefs are kind of at that, they're kind of at that crossroads. We've talked about this in the past, at least it's something that you've, I think, have pointed out. And and it's always been a, a point that I've taken to heart about. Uh, old school Hank Schramm hanging on to the, the players a little bit too long. And, and the Chiefs are trying not to be caught in that now with this new setup. Well, the, uh, yes, and that did happen with the Chiefs back in the late 60s, early 70s. Schramm was very committed to his core, his nucleus, his Buck Buchanan's and Curly Culp's and Len Dawson's and people. That, he, they, he was committed to them. And that's fine. And you love that kind of commitment. But in football, where your rate of attrition is so great, physical game, a lot of a lot of contact and so forth. That's how what the game is all about. Well, you can't hang on to those players for too long. It just doesn't work that way. Have the Chiefs done that now? I don't think so. Furthermore, back in the early seventies, late sixties, early seventies, the salary cap was not as yeah. much of an issue as it is now. Now it's a big deal. Keep in mind, folks, that no NFL team has ever violated, has gone over that salary cap. The NFL doesn't want them to. They have a special section of the front office that looks at every team and says, hey, you're getting close. Here's what you need to do and so forth. And those teams adhere to that uh, approach and suggestion from the front office. NFL does not want that to happen. But as a result, you do have to look for cuts and individuals who are going to be sliced from the roster and just trades and so forth and so on. And in fact, out and out releases from some of these guys who will never come back. So indeed, it's, 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 uh, it's a, a very deep crossword puzzle that you're dealing with here as to how teams are going to adjudicate the decisions on what players are going to make the team and who doesn't and how good you are going to be. Some some clubs make some very wise decisions, and you're right about the Patriots. They were able to overcome all sorts of deficiencies, and I mean political and sociological deficiencies, and still maintain a solid level of football. Now, they have faltered here the last couple of years. Not faltered, that's not fair to say, because they have been playoff caliber. Yeah. But you don't want the Chiefs to fall into that situation, and they know that. Veach is a, a very good general manager. can only go so far, though. You can you have to make some really astute decisions along that line. He made a very tough one this year, and I think uh, for a lot of Chiefs fans, he was in the hot seat because he did trade away Tyreek Hill. He did get a bunch of salary he did get a bunch of draft picks for Tyree Kill and that that's a decision that all these general managers faced with do you break the bank to sign this guy and then you have to cut back on other places to get your team out there on the field and underneath the cap and, and that is where formulating the basis of your team comes into play and that's where the pressure falls on the general manager can he afford to let this guy go this guy is a once 
I'm not going to say once in a lifetime, but certainly once in a generation uh, receiver has all sorts of all sorts of abilities. I mean, how, how many times in a key moment in 13 seconds can you throw a 70-yard pass when you need it to send a game into overtime and to win a game and so forth and so on? Well, Tyreek Hill was able to do that. That's once. That's one guy who can do that. And he, he did it for the Chiefs on any number of occasions. But do you sacrifice the improvement of your team for keeping that guy? And that's therein lies, I think, the real focal point of what the Chiefs are trying to do. You knew they had to make their defense better. Hopefully they have with the draft choices they brought in and hopefully with the free agents they brought in. And yet to to satisfy the offensive team, you've gone out and gotten like uh, Scantling Valdez and uh, Juju Smith-Schuster and uh, kid, the Ross kid who has been physically compromised but still can play. You've got these guys. And can you make them into that kind of a substantial receiving core that can make a team be relevant in the uh, uh, division of the AFL or AFC in this case that they have won every year? One of the things that we've talked about is, and one of the things that Patrick Mahomes is going to be for, forced to do this year is be more multidimensional as a quarterback rather than going to Hill and to Travis Kelsey all the time. He's got to spread the ball out, and he's also got to find somebody that's going to be that number one receiver for the Kansas City Chiefs. exactly right. He has always had Tyreek Hill as their, their number one guy. You had Sammy Watkins there, who was a great backup, but he's not with the team and hasn't been for a couple of years now. So, yes, you have you have all sorts of decisions, and you have a lot of pressure on Mahomes. But Mahomes is 26 years old. Yep. He can certainly adjust to any situation. I really found it interesting that Hill, in his preseason workouts with Miami, has claimed that Tua, Tua Tayevaloa, his quarterback, is more accurate than Mahomes. As a passer. That's what he said yesterday, as a matter of fact. He doesn't have as strong an arm as Mahomes does. I don't think anybody does. <laughs> but but in terms of his ability to be accurate and his ability to find those receivers coming across the middle or going deep, Hill said, hey, this guy's the best. So we'll find out. Interesting. Interesting. When we come back, we'll talk about some upheavals in ownership. It's Ned Talk and 104.7 The Cave. You're listening to Ned Talk on 104.7 The Cave, part of the Kansas City Chiefs Radio Network. Back to Ned Talk on 104.7 The Cave. A proud member of the Kansas City Chiefs Radio Network. You know, one of the great things about sports, Ned, is that there's always a lot to talk about, whether it's on or off the field, and... We have some off-the-field stuff to discuss. I'm interested to get your take and opinion on uh, some stuff that's going on with ownership. First of all, the Walmart folks, the Waltons, have purchased the Denver Broncos. Have indeed for four and a half billion that's with a B. Billion dollars. That's a lot of money. But the uh, Broncos are a, a very viable organization, and uh, Mr. Walton, who is who is making the purchase, or apparently has signed to make the purchase, will do a good deal with them. Uh, they are 
There'll probably be some amenities that'll be put in there. Now, not being out in Denver, I don't know what they would be, but probably some improvements to the stadium and so forth and so on. But over and above that, the Denver organization, they've been up for sale. Patrick Boland was their owner for so many years, and uh, he is now physically not able to own the ball club. And matter of fact, it's his family that wants to um, wants to unload it. And here are the Waltons very much involved in this. So, yeah, it's interesting to see what's going to happen and what kind of an effect the Walmart folks have on the Denver Broncos. I think it will be a positive one. Do you think they have enough money for that? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they probably do. I guess I shouldn't worry about that. I guess probably not worried about that check bouncing or anything like that. No, no, not at all. It's interesting because uh, we we frequently talk with Kevin. Uh, He's our... He's our... Denver reporter Kevin Beatty and and we talked to him about what's going on in Denver and one of the points that he's brought up in both the conversations we've had with him is the fact that there's been some questioning of ownership in the Denver market since Pat Bowens fell out of leadership role there. There have been, and that may have affected their team. You, you, you certainly wouldn't think that it would from that respect, but then again, ownership means a lot. And and many owners, I don't think Mr. Boland, when he was in control, I don't think he was one of them, but many of those owners feel like they should be down there and making some of the shots and calling some of the plays and so forth and so on. You know to whom I'm making reference here. Jerry Jones. Uh, oh, could it possibly be? <laughs> But and and that has, in fact, had an effect on the team. In Denver's case, though, it's very hard to say. But they certainly were up for sale and have since been purchased, and will be under new ownership. We'll see what happens with them. That's not the only the only the only ownership story that came up this week. Uh, there was a couple other interesting ones. Let's let's stay with the NFL, and maybe you can shed some light on this for me. The uh, the Los Angeles Chargers have, um, well, they're the sister of it's, the owner. This is a family dispute. Yeah, and, exactly and it's, it's a trust, is. apparently, that has the money, and the sister is now suing the brother who is the owner or with the head of the trust, and she says that she, that they have lost a substantial amount of money because of the move to L.A. from San Diego. Well, that could possibly be, and you can't deny that. We're not out there. We're not in direct contact, of course, to know what's going on. But keep in mind now, when they moved, when the Chargers moved, they did not move into a very big stadium. They played in a soccer stadium yeah. out there in the, I think, of City of Industry, which is a part of Los Angeles. Yeah, I think that's where the stadium was located. It was only 29,000 people. Well, that's the most that they're going to get out of it. And you're splitting your revenue 60-40 with the visiting team. Well, that is not going to result in a whole lot of money. But they knew that, and the television money was certainly still there. So when you talk about losing substantial amounts, everything is relative in what these teams do bring in. But, yeah, I can I can see that happening with the compromised circumstances that they knew they were going to have before uh, SoFi Stadium was built. And our, our final owner's report here as we do now i don't think we've ever done this before done an owner's report on on the show but we had three big stories this week and uh there's some rumors going around that one of the worst i think one of the worst owners in baseball the angelos family the peter angelos or is it it peter angelos Mm -hmm. yep he's considering moving the baltimore orioles out of 
Maryland and to Tennessee. I hope not. I hope not because they play in, uh, of course, Oriole Park at Camden Yard, which under, you know, again, we're talking in relative circumstances, isn't all that old. It's only no. been around. Heck, Baltimore used to play in the old antiquated Memorial Stadium for so many years, but <laughs> now they're they're in their Oriole Park at Camden Yard. I think that's probably more than anything else, just some kind of ownership statement that he made of course they're always looking to to better it i can't see this i can't see the franchise moving would it be unique no because the A's franchise moved from philadelphia to kansas city to oakland and in the orioles case they were the st louis browns they would if that were to move again again it's happened before in which they moved to another city the braves of course from boston to milwaukee to atlanta so it has happened before but I'd hate to see that happen now where you have still a relatively new stadium. You have a pretty good core of audience, although that's since been compromised with the Washington Nationals coming in. Washington and Baltimore aren't very far away from each other. But I can't see it happening. I just hope that's an idle threat. Funny story about Memorial Stadium when you brought that up was that it, it, I don't know how many people listening remember that ballpark, but there was a, a subdivision out the uh, out the center field fence, and Jim Palmer actually went out and figured out where his arm angle needed to be at, <laughs> so he right. could throw out of a window. It looked like the ball was coming out of a window, in the hitter's backdrop, and so it took just that couple of seconds longer for the hitter to be able to pick up a ball on that. But I, I kind of have fond memories of, uh, of of Memorial Stadium. They did later try to cover that up with a, with several pine trees that they put in yeah. out there. But oh no, it <laughs> was one of the little tricks that Palmer used. <laughs> yes. Come back, we'll wrap up the show and tell you what we're going to watch on TV today. <laughs> You're listening to Ned Talk on 104.7 The Cave, part of the Kansas City Chiefs Radio Network. Back to Ned Talk on 104.7 The Cave. A proud member of the Kansas City Chiefs Radio Network. Ned and I are getting ready to start our careers as replay officials. <laughs> We've been sitting here watching the, some college baseball at the Vols and the uh, Fighting Irish. We got the call right. We did. It was upheld, and so we both feel pretty good about ourselves right now. <laughs> we do, don't we? How many of these do we get right? None. <laughs> I, uh, I don't know. I don't know about that. All right. So it is uh, Sunday afternoon. It is quite warm. It will be a good day, at least my part, because uh, I'm not as I'm not quite as warm natured as you are. I don't like the cold, but I don't like it when it's this hot. So uh, I will probably be inside in the air conditioning. What are you What are you going to do this afternoon? Will not be inside the air conditioning since I I do have it, but I'm not going to use it. I have some mowing to do today. I have some trimming, and that's fine. It doesn't bother me at, at all. Then, uh, if I do watch any of the TV, I kind of like to see a little bit of uh, Carolina, Arkansas, in their NCAA game, and then whatever whatever game happens to be on tonight, we'll watch a little bit of that too. Are you surprised that the uh, NBA pushed the? Uh, I mean, all, the way it's scheduled. All. It's 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 all done for TV. They knew when the the NBA is pretty smart now. They knew they played it Wednesday and then Friday. Yeah, only gave him a what a forty-eight hour reprieve. But now the next game is tomorrow night, a Monday, and that is because Monday night traditionally is very down in the world of sports, very down. 
And as a result, hey, we've got the nucleus of the audience. We'll get them for that one. Then uh, from there on, it it's all all designed with that big red eye. <laughs> <laughs> well, what do you think about that series really quickly? I mean, it's 2-2, and, uh, you know, I, I was telling you that I watched a little bit of the game the other night, and I thought, well, the Celtics look like they're going to uh, run away and hide with this one because they were playing a lot more physical than than the Warriors were. Well, I said at the very start of the series, I felt like Golden State was probably the better team, and they are the better offensive team. They do not play the physical defense that the Celtics do, and, and I think you saw that. But they are also capable. Now, they can, they're can. they also capable of going cold real quickly, yeah. and they did that in what were honestly fourth-quarter snoozes that they took, and they, those were the two games the Celtics beat them when, the, when Boston really ran away from them in the fourth period. But that's how Golden State won on Friday night with a 43-point performance from Stephen Curry, that's the that's the level of basketball that Kerr wants on his team. They have very good shooters. It's a very good offensive basketball team. And when they get in their rhythm and when they get to shooting from the perimeter very well, you aren't going to beat them. Now, they're playing out in San Francisco. Tomorrow night is when they'll play again. I just I think that Golden State's going to win this thing. But, again, they do have home court advantage. And in basketball, home court does mean a lot. But to be tied up and going into game five like that, this is a pivotal game coming up. You want the Celtics have that the Warriors don't have? Green. Luck of the Irish. <laughs> Luck of the Irish. All right, Ned, we'll see you next week. Thanks for tuning in and listening to Ned Talk. If you just found us, you can find us online as a podcast and listen to the whole show. It'll be up there in just a few minutes at 1047thecave.com. You can also find it on our Cave app, or you can download it wherever you get your podcast at. Thanks to Corbin Campbell. Mike the Intern, Brian Tyndall, and Nick Fury. I'll see you guys next Sunday for Ned Talk. Tonight, tonight, tonight.